Amen. Welcome, church. So glad you're here. Um, um, It is a beautiful day, huh? Worshiping the Lord. Uh, I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. um, And we are going to be moving right into um, a new series here in the book of Psalms. Now, we're not going to do all 150 of them. Um, I would... You know our track record. That would take us like 10 years. Um, We're going to hit on some themes in the book of Psalms uh, that we have, uh, as a team, thought, this is where we are as a church. And and what we need to hear, what we need to be encouraged by. Um, The book of Psalms is is written in such a way that it is meant to be a complement to the Torah, which is the first five books of what we have in the Old Testament. The Hebrew people would have used this as a prayer guide, as, as, as a use for worship in their time together. Um, and so we're going to do that same thing over the next six weeks. Uh, we're going to look at some themes out of Psalms. There's, there's lots of them, <clears throat> but we're specifically going to hit on six. Um, now, the book of Psalms was, like I said, it was, it was a companion guide to, to worship. Uh, the Hebrew people compiled this around 300 BC. It was, it was right after the Babylonian exile. So they had been basically captured, exiled a- off to Babylon. And this is right afterwards. They took all of these writings, and these writings are, are by multiple authors uh, over quite a period of time. There's actually one, Psalm 90, that is written by Moses, um, uh, but written by multiple authors. And it was compiled right after they got free. <clears throat> and it was brought then as this guide, as this basically this worship book to encourage, to strengthen, to guide the people of Israel. And we are going to basically do the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to follow that same model of using the book of Psalms as a church who has walked through a lot of things. Uh, this has been a crazy year. Um, and, and not just in the church, but all around us as followers of Christ, of those of God, we have walked through a lot. <clears throat> We've had lots of celebration. There's been lots of joy. There's been lots of things that we could look at and go, oh, Look what God did there. Look, look how he used us. Look, look how we've grown or what we've done in our lives. But there's also been a lot of hardship, a lot of things that, that burden us. I was just, I don't usually listen to the news that much, um, but this morning on the way here, here, I heard about all those floods that are taking place in Kentucky and how 25 people lost their lives. The Psalms would have been one of those things that was brought to the table in even a time like that. A time where the people could come together and just rest in the Lord. And so we're going to do that. We're going to take some psalms over these next six weeks, and we're going to walk that road together. Here are some of the psalms that we're going to, some of the themes, excuse me, that we're going to look at in the book of Psalms. The first one today is we're going to look at confidence. Next week, remembrance Psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of praise, psalms of wisdom, and psalms of kingship. Just like the church before us, synagogues, the people of God, all the way back, we're going to walk through and use this as a tool for worship and guidance and deepening our connection with the Lord. 
So we're going to kick it right off. And we're going to do something a little different. <clears throat> In a second, you are going to see the scripture on the screen. So I'm going to have you stand. So if everybody could stand. We're going to do what would have been done, and, it, and honestly is still done in some places. We're going to read the scripture together. Now, I know as you're reading scripture out loud, you're like, well, I'll get off beat. I'll miss the comma. It's not what it's about. It doesn't matter. This is a time for you to hear the words, to let them sink in, to hear a congregation even walk this road together. As we think about what does it mean to have confidence in the Lord? So I'm going to start us, and I, I'm actually going to cut out at the end. I want you to hear what the congregation sounds like as it shares the word of the Lord. So let's go. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrows to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteousness, but soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous peace. The upright shall behold his face. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I want you to think about some of the things that you put confidence in. Some of the things that you put your trust and confidence in, like family, or friends, or an elevator cable. <laughs> the sturdiness of your house. You walk around your house every day hoping that thing doesn't fall down, but you never think about it. You just have confidence. Every time I step back here on the thing that covers the baptistry, I hope Lanny did a fantastic job of building it. Okay? But you get to a place because confidence comes and goes, right? You, you don't always think about it when you're in it, but you always hope that if you need it, you've got it. I, I like to ride my bike to work, mostly because gas is terribly expensive, but also because I need it. Um, <clears throat> but I ride my bike to work, and I hope that the brakes on my bike will stop me at the bottom of Blake Hill before I hit 57. <laughs> and now they chip and sealed it. It makes it a lot worse. Man, I'm sliding down that thing. Now, I've got to be honest with you. My bike is electric, so I also hope that the battery in the motor will get all of this up steep hills, too. We put confidence in a lot of things. So what happens when that confidence is shook? What happens when that confidence, that trust, is broken? How do we react? Well, let me tell you a quick story. A couple weeks ago, uh, someone in, in our house, they will go unnamed, uh, was coming home late at night in one of our cars, and we get this call from them. Uh, they're not too far away, uh, but to come, find out that the front left tire completely came off the car. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you had the same reaction we did. What? Now everybody's okay. 
Um, and, uh, and, and that's a huge blessing. Um, thankfully, Laura Thomas's big German shepherd wasn't out in the yard at night, at midnight, while we were trying to find the said tire that had rolled, even though the truck had stopped. But that was something that we trusted in. Now, thankfully, we were able to get the car home, but that breaks trust. That breaks your confidence. I went right home that night, and I torqued every lug nut on every car we have because it shook me. I lost confidence. I lost confidence in something that, you know, 99.9% of the time I drive around and not think my tire's going to blow off. I drove all the way to North Carolina for our vacation in my truck, with that on my mind, because confidence had been broken. Every noise, every vibration, tire coming off, tire coming off. Did you check that torque? And, and sometimes you can't even control those things. But here's what happens. We get back into comfort, even though I'm cruising along at 70 miles per hour, going down 77 in North Carolina. Sooner or later, huh, you get back into that stability. You get that confidence back. Confidence is a curious thing. When it's good, it's good. When the thing or person you're putting your confidence in is solid, hmm, it's a good thing. When that thing or person is not worthy of that confidence, for whatever reason, whether it never was, or you just haven't checked back up on it to make sure it still is, those are the moments where you may be heading to a crash where the tires may come off. This is the crossroad that the psalmist is at right now in Psalm 11. This is the place we find them evaluating the object of their confidence. But the difference in this case, in this moment in time, the psalmist has something incredible in their arsenal, something immeasurable. The psalmist in this case is David. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to read you the place out of 1 Samuel 19 where David is having this moment that coincides with Psalm 11. This is what happened to cause David to write a prayer to his Lord. And Saul spoke to Jonathan. Jonathan is David's best friend. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. This is the moment that coincides with what we as a church just read. So let me reread it now with that context, with what you just heard happen to David. Now, there's a lot that happened before this. There's a lot that happens after this. I'll share more in a second. But let's reread it, having that interaction between Saul and Jonathan, and then Jonathan and David. In the Lord, this is David's response. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord, in his the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. 
Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be their portion, be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. That is the response of David to Jonathan telling him. Jonathan, well-intentioned, loves David. Part of the reason he's telling him is because he cares deeply about him. He said, go hide. My dad wants to kill you. Now let's break down that incredible set of scriptures, the way David would have seen it. So what does David do first? He expresses the foundation he will live or die on. He says to Jonathan, I will take refuge in the Lord. He makes it very clear, this is what I believe in, that the Lord is my refuge. David has a very realistic view of who God is in his life. He is that connected to the Lord. This isn't David's first rodeo either. I'm going to pause there. It's an interesting phrase, first rodeo. Like the second rodeo, you have it all together. You ever think about that? <laughs> I can't imagine you have. I, I don't know if my brother Brad is in here, if he was in the first service, he was a bull rider. I clearly bet he would say, no, the second rodeo ain't all that great either. <clears throat> but this isn't the first time that David has had to deal with this truth of who God is in his life. Just one chapter back in 1 Samuel 18, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear twice. He goes on here in a minute to send, Saul, to send David off to war to see if he can get him killed there. He tries to marry him off to his daughters, thinking if he's married to my daughters, that will bring the attention of my enemies, and then they'll kill him. David has been there. He knows where his refuge is, and he makes clear to those around him that he believes it, whether he lives or dies. You see, that foundation, that real foundation, is freeing. David's kind of free with his mortality at this point. Now, I'm not saying that David had a death wish or that he was being irresponsible with his life. What I am saying is the next point that David makes in Psalm 11 is that he has a healthy perspective. Look at verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, David has a clear picture of what this world has to offer. And at any minute, it can crumble. At any minute, even the righteous, even those who chase after the Lord with all of their heart, mind, strength, and soul, if those worldly foundations crumble, if I fall through this floor into the baptistry, please don't let it happen. What can I really do about that? What can I really do when it comes to the world around me? Because it's a mess. Paul, David knows that Saul's world is a mess. One thing you notice is he doesn't try to, to fix Saul here. He doesn't try to fix those foundations around him that are worldly. You see, the battle in this isn't with Saul in David's mind. And in David's mind, the, the battle doesn't belong to him. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the outcome will ultimately be his, according to his will. And this takes David, this healthy perspective of things around him and the fact that he can't control everything, takes him to the next place in Psalm 11. And that's a godly perspective. 
He now, because he has been with the Lord, he can see what God's view is. This, this higher view in Psalm 11, 4 through 5, the Lord is in his holy temple. That is unchanged. The Lord's throne is in heaven. That ain't going anywhere. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. From the vantage point of the Lord, he can see the whole picture. David is realizing that and communicating that and living in that. From his holy place, his children are not hidden. This is God's economy, not our economy, his economy. Whether David live or die, it all falls under the sovereignty of God. Under God's perfect and eternal will. David knows that in his obedience. You see, David strove to be righteous. The Lord is aware of this. The Lord is aware of all things. And the Lord will do as he pleases. We're just part of that. And here's another thing. Ultimately, the Lord does not lose. David's confidence in the Lord doesn't stop with his confidence in the foundations of the world. His confidence goes on further. He ponders the character of the Lord. He's reminded that God does not endure evil. Whether it be now or later, whether God takes care of it in this moment, like Jonathan is hoping in his moment with David, it'll take care of the thing, or whether it's further on down, David knows that this will ultimately be his. Whether it's subtle or whether it's fire raining down from the sky, God will do to evil as he pleases. And here in this moment, you can sense it. It bolsters David's confidence. It, it lifts him up. He, he has no plan to run off and hide. He will stay right here and let God deal with Saul. He will stay, stand in the place where if a spear is hurled at him, he will trust the Lord that he will give him the foresight to move or have Saul struck down or maybe it's David's time. But he's not going anywhere. He's confident in the Lord's plan. And now he moves into this place of being confident in the Lord's provision. You see, he sees the provision of God as more than just this temporal moment. He sees the provision of God being eternal. Now, don't get me wrong. The hope of David's provision from God in this moment, he, he does choose violence. He does choose a moment where he's like, okay, God, if you're going to do it, let's do it big. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. I think David is getting really tired of dodging spears. I think he's in a moment where he knows that God will handle his business as he sees fit. And he does call for it to be big. He comes right out of the gate going, let's do this, God. Now, I, I, I need to say this here. The Psalms, these, these different parts in this book, they do have poetry, they do have symbolism. Is David in this moment calling upon something a little bit more symbolic or is he being literal? Now, here's where, here's where we can go with this. We could easily say it's symbolic, but David knows the stories. He's a, he's a good Hebrew boy. He grew up hearing things. Knowing the stories, he knows the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and flaming rocks coming down and destroying 
those cities because of their sin. He probably knows where the rubble of Jericho is when those walls fell down. Every year, David went and painted his doorpost with the blood of a lamb during Passover, eating the Passover meal in remembrance of knowing that God came through in his provision, put plagues upon Egypt so Pharaoh would free the Hebrews, the Israelites. So David goes there. David goes to this place, and in that moment, he is in this response that he wants evil taken care of. Because not only is evil attacking him personally, evil is hurting the kingdom of Israel at this time. Saul is not the leader for these people. That leads us to kind of this final one more place where where David expresses his confidence, where he shares what it is. You see, the conclusion of being a righteous follower, the conclusion of knowing exactly what God is going to do and how powerful he is to do it, is being confident in the promises of God. Psalm 11, 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. In all of things that have gone on in David's life, in all the things, whether he lives or dies, whether the foundations crumble or not, whether God rains down fire from heaven or he gently corrects or he doesn't correct at all in his timing, the only thing that matters is the promise of God. These promises that are made to David, that are made to us, and it's stated in just six simple words. The upright shall behold his face. David knew the outcome of his walk with the Lord, no matter whether it was at the end of a spear or not. He knew his main objective here on this earth was to strive for righteousness and to live in the promises of the Lord, to follow so closely to God that it was hard to deviate off the path. We have a more modern day telling of that in John 15. You see, it was, it was for David, but it, Jesus comes along and it's for us as well. Abide in me and I in you. He's basically saying, listen, if you remain in me, if you do the things that I've called you to do, if you hear my commands and live them, I will love you. If you abide in me, remain in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide In me, that is the promise of our Lord through Jesus. The truth is that I think, I think that David, in this moment, got the majority of his confidence out of knowing that promise. I think this is the the truth that drove him to endure all the hardships, all the things that he had to do. There's so many moments in David's life, if you read 1st, 2nd Samuel, if you read um, Chronicles, if you read all the things of uh, kings in the Bible, you hear these moments of David having these opportunities to either run for the hills or give up. The reason I think he endures all of these things, even if it means being at the end of a spear, is because he believed the promises and had seen them in his life. All of these things, all the things on earth rise and fall in the will of God and his eternal promises. So where does that leave us? 
know, we could hear all that, and if the book of Psalms is for us, then there needs to be something in this for us. The screen is going to have all the, the points up here, and we're going to walk through them because we're going to look through David's path. First, do you believe it? <clears throat> David expressed his foundation his true foundation, whether he live or die. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is for you, that he is that powerful, that he is your refuge? Do you know how to express that truth in your life? Do you know how to show that to others? Hear me. This is hard sometimes. This is hard sometimes. You may be in the middle of something right now where you're like, I feel like God is far from me. Listen, David was there. Many people in this room have been there. David wasn't in the best place here, but he forced himself to rely on the things he knew, not only because of what he had been taught, but also of his past experiences, and also because he had seen it in others. He told, them, he told himself, this is true even if I don't believe it, feel it, or see it. This is true. Because he knows that that can be shaken. If I don't feel it or see it, I still know that God is for me. This seamlessly, again, it just flows right into it, into that next point. That idea of having a healthy perspective. That no matter what you have going on, God's plan is bigger than you. When you have that healthy perspective that the stuff around you, even the people around you, can crumble sometimes. You can be driven to a place where you have a deeper understanding of God's plan. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When we get ourselves to a healthy place of realizing, listen, I don't have it all together. The people around me don't have it all together. The things around me can sometimes crumble. It pushes us into a place of fuller surrender to the Lord, which again just seamlessly goes into the next one where we start adopting God's perspective. We start adopting God's sight and vision on things around us. Things where, where God would say to us, do not worry what happens to you in this time, but know that if you push the things of the world out of the way, you will ultimately still be in my arms. That perspective that God has that sometimes the world blinds us of. When we move into that, it goes from us doing things, us doing the things, and us having confidence in our abilities, and it pushes us into trusting God, and then ultimately his provision. We go from saying words like, I can, I will, to hearing his words of, I will, and I have, or hearing the word of God say, he will, he has. It's a quick word search to easily find scripture that says that, Consistently, Isaiah 46, 4, I will carry you, I will bear you, I will save you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he will provide. Deuteronomy 31, 8, it is the Lord who goes before you, he will be with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Again, 2 Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Just like that healthy perspective moves into a God perspective and then into provision, it very quickly, when you get to that place where you're going, oh, this is God's. How do I know that? Because he promises. It gets summed up in 1 Corinthians as Paul is speaking and talking about how he has said, listen, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer. I bring nothing to the table. And he says it this way. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. He had nothing. He knew that everything he had was a promise from the Lord. We have something David did not hear. We have the hope and desire that he wanted, that he had heard as a Hebrew child, as he had heard in the prophecy of Messiah, We have the hope found in salvation through Jesus Christ and the indwelt Holy Spirit. Our confidence should only be amplified knowing that. Even more so than David's. We have so much more in our arsenal when it comes to being confident. We even have a promise that we hear from Paul again to the Philippians. He says this in chapter 1, And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We have a truth. We have an indwelt part of God. We have our past walking with the Lord. We have the stories of others. We have this. To show us that a confidence in the Lord is bigger than any trial. It's bigger than any mess. It's bigger than anything that you have around that has shook your confidence. Again, let's be realistic. It's hard sometimes. It is. Like I said earlier, you may be going through something that is like, Sean, but you just don't know. You may be right. But you're probably not the first one. You won't be the last one. And everything that we just walked through is still true today as it was for David, as it was for Paul. It's still true today for you. Dig deep into the Lord. Abide in him. Search and chase after righteousness. Learn how to proclaim that truth of confidence in a firm divine foundation. And we're going to finish that way. I'm going to have you stand again. You see, Psalms of Confidence are throughout the whole book. There's not just this one. (laughs) There's many. You're going to hear multiple Psalms on all of these themes. But as we started, we're going to finish with another Psalm of Confidence out of Psalm 16. We're going to read this one together as well. We're going to proclaim together, whether you feel it and see it or not right now, or whether you're living in it and you're celebrating in it, we're going to proclaim it as a body that it's true, that we know it, 
and desire it. So again, just like the first time, we'll read this together. Don't worry how you sound to your neighbor. Think about how it sounds to your Lord. Think how it sounds to your soul. Here we go. Preserve me, O God, for you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out. Take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path. forevermore. Amen. Father God, we come before you as a people that hear those words, hide them away in our heart and lean into them when we need them. That they become so integral of who we are, Father, that we live them out every day. Father, guide us into a godly confidence. Guide us into a place where we rely on you and it is so second nature that everyone around us sees it, our friends, our family, those at work, at school, wherever that may be, and they ask, why are they different? Father, let us be a people like David, who in the time of worry and even possible death, he said, why would I fly away? I take refuge in my Lord. We praise you. We praise you that you call us worthy enough to be in that presence And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.